You're listening to the Ikra Book Festival 2020, brought to you by The Ark, Radio Ramadan 365, Al Khair, Human Relief Foundation, and Allison Street Cleaners. Allison Street Cleaners, is your laundry piling up? Are you too tired or busy to get it done? Come to Allison Street Cleaners, a fast and friendly laundrette. Services include dry cleaning, ironing, shirt service, and you can now also hire the rug doctor, making sure all your cleaning needs are fulfilled. Presenting you with an exclusive Ramadan special to Radio Ramadan listeners. £2 off every £10 spent until the 15th of June. Don't miss out. Visit us at 110 Allison Street, Glasgow, g 428 N or call 0141-423-3958 Alison Street Cleaners Clean water isn't a luxury It's the moral right of everyone Yet 785 million people live without it And the consequences are dramatic With diseases from dirty water Killing more people each year Than all forms of violence Including war It's why Human Relief Foundation bring clean water into the heart of communities. But they need your support to do more. Visit hrf.org.uk We believe that every child deserves a good education. This is the best way to ensure that they can achieve their full potential and escape a life of poverty for themselves and their families. All that these children want is a chance to learn and fulfill their dreams. With your donations, Al Khair Foundation helps thousands of children gain a quality education. Please support us so that we can continue to help some of the poorest children across the world. To learn more, please visit our Glasgow branch at 441A Victoria Road, Glasgow, G428RW or call on 0141-423-5747 or visit our website at alkhair.org. Assalamu alaikum and uh, welcome back to Ikrabic Festival. Um, I have thoroughly enjoyed um, hosting the last um, four sessions and I am um, delighted to say that we have uh, Sophie Hall who will be taking on um, the hosting um, for Ikrabic Festival um, for the next two slots. Um, so Jazakallah for to all the the um, wonderful authors that we've had so far. Um, Diana Dark um, on her book um, to do with architecture. We had Medina Tanur Whiteman who had an, ha, gave it her, her personal um, experience of being um, Muslim and white. And um, finally, the last lot with um, Sheikh Abdulaziz um, giving a discussion on his um, contribution to the um, the sacred path of love um which was published um by Sut Elahi um so i'd like to now introduce the next compare sophie uh, assalamu alaikum sophie Waalaikum assalam um a little bit of a background on sophie um for um for y'all um sophie became muslim in 2011 and she's supported new muslims um in with the in Glasgow with the New to Islam group, um, you've also worked with Amina Muslim Women's Resource Centre, developing the Muslim Women's Helpline, uh, as well as um, doing work with their schools outreach. 
Um, you've co-produced and presented the Embrace show with Daoud, who was on earlier, um, with Ridu Ramadan, that was specifically by New Muslims for New Muslims. And currently you live in Oban working for Argyle College. Um, so um, I'll pass it on to Sophie. Salaamu Alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh from me. Asalaamu Alaikum. Thank you so much for hosting the last um, few hours. Um, it's been really enjoyable. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, the, I'm now going to hand over to Naveed Akhtar, who is the founder of Alchemia. Um, it's a global streaming platform um, of, it's basically known as the Netflix of Islam and um, he is also an award-winning uh, producer for BBC and Channel 4. Um, he'll be introduced, uh, interviewing Dr. Arya Campbell-Dinesh, um, who is the author of A Mindful Year, 365 Ways to Find a Connection with the Sacred. Assalamu alaikum, Sophie. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you so much uh, for the introduction. Um, I'm delighted to be here today. I just want to congratulate everybody involved with the festival. Um, I've been dipping in and out and it's uh, been great. It's been a really uh, in enjoyable uh, listen to hearing everything. Um, so our next session, which is kicking off now, is with Dr. Arya Campbell Danish. Uh, he is the author of a book called A Mindful Year, 365 Ways to Find Connection with the Sacred. Uh, Dr. Campbell Danish is a doctor in clinical psychology and an expert in the field of behavioural change and long-term health. He's a mindful specialist, and I'm going to be asking you about that because I'm curious what that is. And he's also the creator of the FIT method, FIT method, and he works internationally with clients on their mindset, exercise and nutrition. And if you go to his website, you can actually see some really impressive clients that he's got there including I saw Orlando Bloom and Katy Perry. So I know it's a Muslim book festival, but we, I think everybody knows who Orlando Bloom and Katy Perry are. Um, he is regularly featured in popular lifestyle publications such as Men's Health, Women's Health and Marie Claire. Dr. Arya is an associate fellow with the British Psychological uh, Society and is a senior associate member of the Royal Society of Medicine. And we're going to be talking to him today about uh, the book that he's written. Dr. Campbell, are you there? Yes, thank ah. you so much for having me on. Ah, hello, hi, excellent. Welcome to the Ikra Book Festival. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, so I, 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 I gather the format is that you're going to read from the book and as an introduction. And so we're gonna, I'm gonna hand over to you and we'll hear about whatever you selected for us to listen to. Perfect, well, the book has an entry for every day of the year. So I thought we could start with October the 24th, and I know we have about five minutes, so I'll read a few entries and then we can take it from there. October 24th. The best laid schemes of mice and men gang after glay and lay as not but grief and pain for promised joy. Rabbi Burns is widely regarded as Scotland's national poet. Today's quote is from To a Mouse which I learned at school for Burns Day when we'd read his works to celebrate his birthday. In this poem, the Scots author is plowing the fields when he accidentally destroys a mouse's nest, a nest that needed to endure the cold of winter. As the mouse experienced firsthand, sometimes life throws a wrench in the works. Even daily life gives us many lemons, 
a crying baby on a flight, a tissue in the pocket of an item in the wash, rain on a vacation and sunshine back home. We can't avoid this. We can, however, choose how we respond. We can hold on to thoughts of unfairness. We can ruminate as to why this has ruined our day, journey or vacation. We can catastrophize about all the possible future negative consequences. But another option is to stay grounded in the present, to be alive to the gifts that exist right now, to take in the good aspects of our current situation, like the fact that we're on vacation and not at work, or that the crying baby isn't ours. There's always a way to find that sense of buoyancy in the present moment. Invitation. Ask yourself this question throughout the day. Am I focusing on what is going right at this moment or on what is going wrong? Whatever the answer, you have the choice to direct your focus and open up to the joy that exists right now. October 25th. When you hear your heart guiding you to your happiness, then make a choice and stick to it. Don Miguel Ruiz. A friend of mine once said, being miserable is easy. It's hard work being happy. It always amazes me how readily we slip into a negative frame of mind and set up camp there. We find much more joy when we focus on the positive. Yet this is often not our natural inclination. It seems we're programmed to pay attention to perceived problems. What don't I like about this? What could be better? What are my shortcomings? What are others not doing for me? In the process, our happiness goes out the window. When we feel that downward pull, what stops us from saying, that doesn't feel good. Let me come back to a place of contentment. We instinctively withdraw our hand from a hot stove. Why is it different in our emotional lives? More often than not, we seem to seek out emotion emotional hot stoves and having found one, deliberately place our hand on it, then leave it there despite the pain. That is unless and until we decide to take our emotional well-being seriously. No matter how many times we've freely given up our happiness, we can make a different choice. We can choose to smile, to take a slow cleansing breath, to remove the negative filter that biases our thoughts, to pursue activities that bring us joy, to stop doing things that deplete us. We can decide in advance to guard our peace of mind. Invitation. When you notice you're leaving a place of contentment today, do what you know is likely to bring you back. Do the work required to be happy. October 26th. Joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. Henri Nguyen. Over the weekend, I was at a wedding. I was sitting at a table with a group of people I didn't know, and I was feeling distinctly antisocial. Then I realized that I had a choice. I could be Mr. Self-Focused for the evening and keep to myself. I could also shift my attention to the woman to my left and the man to my right and learn about them. I could be curious finding common ground and interesting differences. Thankfully, I ended up choosing the latter and had one of the most entertaining and interesting evenings in a long time. 
It all started with the awareness that I had a choice. I chose to bring the joy. The way that we live our life is our responsibility. Where we place our focus is our responsibility. Becoming aware of the way we're thinking and feeling is our responsibility. Even the way we interpret this responsibility is our responsibility. We can perceive it to be a burden that hangs around our neck, or we can see it as the ultimate freedom. Invitation. As you enter each new situation today, remind yourself that you have a choice as to how you engage with the moment. In whatever way seems most natural and authentic to you, bring the joy. Wonderful, thank you. Thank you. Uh, actually, it's just so, there's so much there that you know for sort of food for thought, as it mm. were. And it occurs to me how much time I'm spending in this space here, this box. <laughs> Increasingly, this is my little office at home, and it was always meant to be something that was little. It was never meant to be a permanent thing. Um, and what 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 it occurs to me is that actually how much time we're spending online as well. So do you think somewhere as our lives are going in this direction, really because of global events, but also technology and the necessity, do you think the need for mindfulness has increased? I mean, did you did you sense that? I mean, we hear a lot of it being talked about, and it's almost mm. a new idea. But what what have you noticed? Do you think mm. that there's more need for that? Well, it might help if I define mindfulness for the viewers as well, because it can be understood in different ways. It can be conceptualized as a practice, um, as a quality, as a trait. For me, I like to keep things simple. I'm a simple man. And in its essence, mindfulness is awareness. It's becoming aware of what is happening within you, the thoughts you're having, the emotions you're feeling, the sensations in your body, and it's being aware of what's happening around you externally with people, with wherever you are. And so when you're being mindful, you're being present. So whenever I'm speaking to you, Navid, I'm speaking to you and I'm not thinking about what I'm having for dinner. Or whenever I'm with uh, my family, I'm listening to them. Or when I'm working, I'm working. When I'm playing tennis, I'm playing tennis. And so on and so forth. And studies have shown that on average, when you aggregate the data, people tend to mind wander about 48% of the time, which is astounding when you think about it. Half of the time, our minds are somewhere else. We're not present. Now, stimulus-independent thought, as, as they call it um, in the literature, is a wonderful evolutionary achievement. It's what separates us from other animals and it allows us to plan and predict and prepare and to think about the future. But there is a caveat, which is our mind has evolved with a negativity bias. So often we, rather than think about spending five minutes relaxing on holiday, we think about five minutes worrying about financial issues or the health of our family or something else. And to return to your question, is it getting worse? I would say that in our current day and age, there are more demands and tugs on our attention than ever before. You know, social media um, or the internet is a prime example where we're living in an attention economy. Companies rely on capturing our attention and they will, they will develop 
algorithms and programs and ways of continually hooking us back in. And I would say that from a moral point of view, it's arguably not, neither right or wrong, it is what it is. But from a personal happiness point of view, it can have a detrimental effect. And that's whenever we need to become more aware of, am I choosing right now to go on Instagram or Facebook and to engage in this kind of conversation? Or am I getting drawn in because I've seen a notification and suddenly 45 minutes have passed and I've been watching cat videos? Um, I think given the audience that um, are listening in today, I'm going to stay away from the, the, I mean, I'm sure you've been asked the same 10 questions about the book everywhere you go. So I'm going to try and steer this way and make it a bit more specific to Mm. our uh, our audience that's listening. So there was an interesting session earlier, which was around sort of spirituality and spiritual gatherings. But one of the kind of core experiences, and I know Nadim, who we often have these discussions is, uh, of, of, of this community, is trauma. And it's mm-hmm. just trauma that's only now we're third, fourth generation. We're now beginning to recognize that was, that's what it was. Um, that I kind of just thought all Punjabis like shouting and, you know, <laughs> kind of making a big deal about uh, it's like, you know, keep calm and uh, keep calm and carry on. That's not the Punjabi way, you know, sort of Pakistani ways like, you know, blow it up. But actually what you realize is that we have rather tragically a history of partition trauma, migration trauma, all kinds of sort of behaviors. And as we've sort of acquired some degree of stability in terms of social stability or financial stability, um, you you can have reflective space to, to say, well, wh- how can I be different? How can I change who I am? I mean, and that's not like my cultural identity. Of course, that's a, something that's evolving. But how do I not respond in the same respond in the same way to those emotional triggers? Mm-hmm. So, what I think the question I'd like to understand is how helpful is it that the, 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 this sort of body of just quotes, daily quotes, etc., in sort of understanding, like you said, you know, your own sort of buzz, buttons, as it were, and your own personal history. Mm. For me, I define tapping into spirituality in the same way as I defined awareness. For me, spirituality is awareness. It's waking up. It's waking up to the present moment. It's waking up to the presence of God. It's appreciating that there are blessings all around us. And actually, from my own personal point of view, everything is a manifestation of God. It's God's glory being played out. We often think that we are the dancer and say God is a dancer and we are the dance. And one of the biggest tricks that our mind plays on us is that we often place ourselves at the center when really I think through a process of spirituality and awakening, we become to experience ourselves as the satellite and God is at the center and we're we're, we're revolving around that. Whenever we become very focused on our own cultural identity, we are a lot more vulnerable because everything that we've taken on to be our identity, if it's ever attacked, it becomes a trigger. So we define ourselves in certain ways as a Punjabi, as an Iranian, as a conservative, as a professional, as a father. And if we place too much value within that identity, then 
if that's ever judged or criticized or attacked, we then re react emotionally. Mm. And I think there's, I'm very fortunate that a lot of work I did in my early 20s was to really understand or ask the question, who am I? And, and the more that I went down that route, I came to an understanding that from my own personal point of view, God's presence is within me. It's the link is never broken, even if I don't see it. Mm. And whenever I tap into that deeper identity, then my cultural identity becomes like my, the clothes that I'm wearing. You know, I don't think I am my jumper or I am my jeans. And if someone doesn't like my jumper or my jeans, I mean, last night I was wearing a salmon t-shirt um, and the friend who was at was saying, you know, that salmon t-shirt looks terrible on you. It doesn't suit your skin color. And, and a few years ago, I probably would have been offended. But last night, it didn't, it was neither here nor there because it's not me, it's just a t-shirt. And so the more I can find my identity within God, I think the more we can be unshakable. And being unshakable for me doesn't mean that you don't experience emotions, going back to what you're asking about emotional triggers, but it's noticing these emotions. It's becoming aware of them. And then it's sometimes realizing, okay, what's triggering that? We've been influenced culturally on a community level, on a familial level, on a relationship level. And understanding what parts of that have I picked up and am I taking on myself rather than letting go and maybe connecting to a, a greater identity. Mm. And so I think it can be, if you can find different ways, if, if, if the book is helpful and it finds different ways for you just to get to know yourself a little bit better. I'm really passionate about helping people understand their own psychology. What is it? What is triggering them? How do you want to live your life? In what ways do you want to grow and change? And placing more of our focus on that, for me, that's the most worthy endeavor any, any of us can really set upon. Um, you wrote the book with, with, a, with a friend, with a very close friend. And yes. uh, it's interesting because I always feel that's where some of my most profound conversations are with somebody mm. who is sort of, there's a degree of separation, but there's also a degree of intimacy here. Mm. Um, that those deep conversations are never with my wife or children, they're always <laughs> with our friends. So <laughs> it's, it's interesting, you know, that. Um, so can you tell us a bit about that, how that actually kicked off, what happened? Yeah, so, so I, I co-wrote the book with a dear friend of mine who's a psychologist as well. And we, it was, uh, the day after my wedding day and we're walking uh, in the countryside he very kindly flew over from America Wait, after your wedding day <laughs> the day after yes the day after that's right I wasn't in the countryside with my best yeah, friend on my wedding day for anybody right <laughs> <laughs> and we were very happy on my wedding day we were just yeah, relaxing yeah. having a pint in the pub and never knowing um and at that moment everything seemed crystal clear I had a moment of profound clarity where everything that mattered was there. I was alive, I was breathing, uh, my wife was there, my family, my brothers, my close friends. I was in nature, I was walking, I was healthy, and all was well. I really didn't need anything else. It didn't matter how much or how little was in my bank account, whether or not I was driving a car or not, what professional wars I had or had not been given, none of that really mattered. And we both felt it and we thought, oh, is there a way? But we could almost predict in, in the same way that I was mentioning earlier about thinking about the future. I could imagine in a month's time and just getting frustrated because my Wi-Fi's not fast enough 
or the person in front of me has cut, cut in front of me and getting frustrated. And we were wondering, is there a way that we can help one another just to reconnect, to connect to the sacred, to connect to what's really important and just drip, drip, drip every day, try and live that way. And so we came up with this idea. What about if we wrote to one another as friends? So I wrote to him on the 1st of January and put a quote, uh, um, a little bit about my day and something to think about, and then an invitation. And then he would write the following day, I'd wake up and receive it. And it really was just a dialogue between two good friends. You know, in the unedited manuscript, it was about four times longer, a lot more personal aspects. And so the uh, editor said, you probably need to cut some of it out or it'll be longer than the Quran and the Bible put together. And so we decided to, um, yeah, to publish it in that way. Yeah, that's great. That's amazing. And um, just for everybody listening to know that the session, this session is actually sponsored by Al Khair Foundation. And for further information about support and their work, please visit www.alkhair.org. Uh, and also you can buy uh, Aria's book, uh, A Mindful Year, 365 Ways to Find Connection with the Sacred. Um, and you can just put that into Amazon, get it from there or uh, support your local bookshop, probably ask them to order it, that'll be even better. Um, so coming back to, um, it, it, it seems that there's, there's a kind of a convergence beginning to take place between, I guess, what was sort of very secular idea about cognitive behavioural therapy, um, mm -hmm. and then also this idea of actually a spiritual path where, um, I mean, often as somebody myself who, you know, sort of follows the Sufi tradition, it, it, it I would find myself reading uh, a lot of the new age literature that was not Muslim in any way, because actually it helped me make sense of some of the practices I was doing, which at times feel, felt archaic and very ancient. And I, I just had trust. I had faith that, look, they're working somewhere, but I couldn't kind of really grapple with them. But then, I, you know, if I read then Deepak Chopra or, you know, Eckhart Tolle, suddenly I could join the two together and do that. Um, so do you think it's going to be, we, we're seeing this sort of convergence taking place, do you think that's going to happen or it's already happening? I've noticed that too. There's that um, idea that there's no original idea under the sun, everything has already come before and a lot and psychology naturally developed out of philosophy. So even cognitive behavioral therapy has its roots in Stoic philosophy, which will have its roots in older contemplative traditions as well. And it's, it had to be manualized, it had to be simplified, it had to be structured, and I think it lost some of its essence. Uh, it's an incredible uh, science-driven, evidence-based therapy. What I find most fascinating is when I go back and read the original writings of Beck in the 60s and 70s, and then go further back and look at the literature which he refers to, whether it's Epictetus or uh, Marcus Aurelius, um, or and then go further back from there and so on and so forth. And that's when I think you get the depth and the, the richness of, of that understanding. But essentially it does, yes, it comes back to understanding, understanding yourself, you know, to, to know thyself, to understand how you're built, how your thoughts affect your emotions and how they affect your actions. And like we covered in the book, a lot of the time we have more choice than we actually perceive, but we also have less control than we also think. And just to explain that paradox, 
the we often think we have control over many things in life, but actually we don't. We can't control the weather. We can't control the temperature. We can't control technology. We can't control the economy. COVID. We can't control COVID, that's for sure. <laughs> we can't control politicians. We can't control uh, our loved ones. And we definitely can't control our children. So, <laughs> and so what can we control? Uh, really all we can control is not even our thoughts because they even often are populated automatically we don't try and have thoughts they just come into our head the mind has a mind of its own but we can control the perspective we take the viewing point that we choose to see through um, and the actions that we then choose to make and the other part of it is then also then having trust and having trust in Allah and having trust in his will and having trust that all is unfolding as it should and it doesn't make sense and I don't understand it and I'm struggling but Lord help me through this and with you tapping into that sense that I can get through this I can grow through this and and not only can I survive but I can actually grow emotionally with more compassion with more love with more wisdom and a friend said uh, to me the other day, actually, a quote that she heard, which was, whenever you are struggling in life, don't ask God, why did this happen? Ask God, where are you leading me? Mm. And it's more and more tapping into that faith that I am on a path and I am protected. And, and even when things don't go the way that I want them to go, all will be well. Mm. I, think, I think it's a... I can relate to that sense of um, just mystery, the kind of idea of mystery, especially when <clears throat> we're so many of us are involved in the business of information. Actually, knowing gives you an advantage or gives you your status in society. Mm. Actually, then at times, just to be able to be okay, okay with the mystery and mm. that sense of actually what's going to unfold is going to unfold, and you 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 see your place in that that actually you're you, you you're okay um, um yeah i mean it and also I, I think recently the buzzword has been fear of missing out this kind of anxiety about yeah. being present and being enjoying everything that's there and um definitely i think uh, the seclusion of covid is sort of put, put an end to that for many people this sense of uh, actually yes. you know, we have that there, there's an interesting question that's come through from Fakunda uh, Chowdhury and she says do you think that mindfulness, mindfulness is much more of a middle class approach to life um, is it accessible to all you know hmm. so what, what's your feelings on that uh, well I, I'd have to ask what she means by a middle class approach because I imagine right. that would have it, it, it could be in danger of seeing something that's very intellectualized or very educated hmm. or you have to be incredibly educated you have to know hmm. all the fancy terms etc is it just the ordinary bloke in the street can they sort of practice it as it so mindfulness doesn't require any level of intellect it doesn't require study it doesn't require prior knowledge it doesn't require skill it's an innate ability that every human has been born with the ability to be aware to be conscious to notice how you are thinking or to notice what you're feeling, to be able to label, even just be able, being able to label emotion. Now, there are, yes, there will be people that will have had such a difficult 
potentially traumatic or neglected upbringing that find it very difficult to even understand what emotions they're feeling because they haven't had the parental upbringing which was sensitive to their own emotional needs and it's completely overlooked. And a lot of these individuals will then struggle hugely in life and often be diagnosed with what would often be called maybe a personality disorder, um, which is probably quite an unhelpful term, um, but that's another conversation. But essentially it's then that individual will really struggle to even differentiate between a thought and an emotion and even being able to label an emotion. And often there's so much, um, there's so much feeling that they act out of that feeling and can be very destructive or risk-taking in those actions. Now that is a very small po percentage of the population. I think we're probably looking at about 1%. Uh, but even these individuals can, can learn how to understand what a thought is and to be able to distinguish an emotion. So I'd say, yes, there are definitely some people that would struggle to grow that ability more than others, but it's not a middle-class ability. It's not something that um, is only accessible to some. It's, it's a little bit like, in my mind, because I define mindfulness as awareness, and I also define spirituality as awareness. Spirituality is accessible to everyone, and it will, it, it will affect their lives in, in different ways and to different levels, but it doesn't mean that we can't connect to it. Mm. Uh, it it's interesting you described that this sort of a moment of awareness for yourself on your wedding day in terms of just thinking is the perfect moment here. And um, uh, I, I recently was talking to people about my purpose, that, you know, when people want to know what inspired me and, and actually I trace it back to my mother's death and mm. being, you know, and, and, and it, it is these little monumental events. And mm. at, at, at her grave, I found myself having a vast realization of just the nature of life and actually how mm. fast and short it could be for all of us, you know? Mm. And so that kind of process of questioning led to this idea of, well, what's, what's the point? What is yeah. my point? And what is yeah. the point of all of it, you know, and where, where do I fit into that? So I think that everybody really, that that's available to anybody, you know, that, mm -hmm. that sense of these moments will come, you know, but then they are, they tend to be the big life events. I think where we just stop and think and, if you can actually do them outside of that, that's fantastic because you can have a lot more control. But um, mm. yeah, no, I think, uh, I think I would, it, it's I like a agree. language really. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I once read it as a uh, pleasant experiences make life delightful. Painful experiences lead to growth. Mm. And, and for me, any um, point of suffering or apparent tragedy or despair or devastation in that moment has ultimately led to a deeper path where I've grown closer to God, even if there's been initially a fallout from that. So there have been moments in my early 20s where I questioned everything. And I, I would say, whilst I was still as connected to God, because we can't, in my opinion, we can't break that connection, I, I wasn't tapping into it, I wasn't feeling it, I wasn't experiencing it. And there was that sort of well-known sequence of um, order, disorder, and then reorder. And I think that cycle happens continuing through, through life. It feels ordered, we go through disorder, and then we find a reorder. And we can do that with the grace of God. And, and we can't protect ourselves from horrendous things happening. But 
they don't end there and everything changes and it can be a path to greater love and greater connection with God. Um, we're kind of coming close to the end of the session. We carry on for a bit longer. And I, I kind of feel it'd be really good to try to understand a little bit about the connection with the body, because when I was looking through your website, it's not just the mind. It's also that, they, you, you know, you're suggesting that there are these parallels that cross over. Um, mm-hmm. So can you tell us a bit about that, how that works in terms of... Uh, yeah, so even, even traditionally, we, would, we often separated the mind and the body. But what we've... Come, what science has come to show is just how intimately interlinked they are. And actually, uh, our physical health, and people can probably relate to this, has an impact on our mental health. Mm. And the way that we think actually has an impact on the way that our body functions or operates. And so the mindset that we have is, is key, not only in terms of affecting the choices we make, which will often be health-related, which will then have an impact on our health. But also, there have been some fascinating studies. Um, there's one in the, um, in the 70s by Ellen Langer, and she took a group of individuals who were in the 70s, I believe. And she set up, and this is just a concrete example, but she set up a house from 30 years prior. And everything was set up, I believe, as it was in the 1940s. The television, what was being playing, the newspapers, um, the, uh, the food, everything which was there was set up. And, and one group was told to live as if they were 30 years younger compared to another group who were given different instructions. And what they found was that after a certain period of time, their health markers not only began to prove, but they began to see an age reversal in terms of their visual acuity, their manual dexterity, their coordination, um, their posture, their muscle strength. And it was phenomenal because it opened this gateway to show that it's not that just that you're thinking your life differently, it has an impact physiologically on your body. And we now know that the thoughts that we have, and it makes sense really when you think about it from a new scientific point of view, what is a thought? Essentially, it's um, a biochemical reaction in the brain, and that will trigger circuitry within the brain, which will then trigger the cascade of a release of hormones or of neurotransmitters. And that has a direct real impact on the body. And so it, you know, it's not to say that you could just imagine not having cancer and then cancer will disappear from your body, but it is to say that the level of stress that we're experiencing, the, the emotions that we're feeling and the thoughts that we're having do have an impact physiologically in certain ways. Mm. And, and at the same time, so therefore positive thoughts could aid healing and wellness and prevention. Yes, and it would be interesting to see, um, you know, specifically what conditions are, are impacted the most, but we know, for instance, things like it has an impact on cardiovascular um, risk on certain cancers. Uh, it's used a lot in pain management. So we also know that the brain is set up in such a way that whenever we experience certain emotions, in, in the simplest terms, it turns up the pain dial. It's like a volume knob. And it actually increases the level of activity going through our sensory nerves. And so it's not just the case that you're stressed or anxious or worried or wondering, 
how will I deal with this pain? Will it ever end? What will this mean in terms of my life in five years or 10 years time? And you're imagining it being more painful. It actually is triggering a greater level of pain conductivity, which you are experiencing. So it has a very real concrete effect. Wonderful. I think we are out of time. So thank you so much. Uh, your book is called A Mindful Year, 365 Ways to Find Connection with the Sacred. And people can get it from Amazon. They can get it from their, uh, order it from their local bookshop. Um, do you have any last thoughts just before we go? Um, no, just to uh, wish everyone love and blessings. If anyone does have any questions, um, Instagram is probably the easiest way. If people are on that, just at doctor dot underscore A-R-I-A. Um, and feel free to send me a message. Um, thank you so much for um, a very interesting conversation. I really enjoyed it and um, really enjoying listening to everyone else's insights as well. Great. Thank you so much. Lovely thank to you. see you. God bless. Thank you. That's it. I'm going to hand over to Sophie now. Assalamualaikum, Sophie. Are you there? Welcome, Salam. Thanks very much, Navid and Arya. That was a really interesting session. I really enjoyed that. Um, we did have one question which was quite a specific one just about whether or not, um, Dr. Aria, whether you do um, in-person in sessions or um, events that people can attend? Yes, yes, I do. So I work with clients one-to-one -one on a private basis and I also um, do events, talks. Uh, and so probably the website would be the best way of finding out more about that. Um, I work generally in, in sustainable weight loss, but then also in uh, mental well-being as well and so it's just dr-aria.com that's great and one other one you did have a very specific question about teens is that something that you would be able to um support or um not um, it would probably depend on on the individual presentation um but i used to work specialized with children um, and that's something I do less of now, uh, but if the person does want to be in touch, I could um, have a look at it.